BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. On this episode of Newt's World, my guest is a woman of firsts. She was elected to the Hawaii State House of Representatives at the age of 21. As a reservist in the Hawaii Army National Guard, she completed two tours of duty in the Middle East. In 2012, she was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District. She is the first American Samoan ever elected to Congress, and she ran for president on the Democratic ticket in 2020. On Tuesday, October 11th, she announced she is leaving the Democratic Party for good because, and I quote, it's now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness, unquote. I couldn't have described the modern Democratic Party better myself, but more importantly, I have known my guest for a good while. She is a remarkable person. She's a fun person. I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman, former presidential candidate. I think she has a great future ahead of her in whatever she does. She's now campaigning for some key Republicans leading into the 2022 midterms. And her latest project is her new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show, which I recommend highly because I know it's going to be fascinating. Aloha, Tulsi. Welcome and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Aloha, Newt. Thank you. It's an honor to be here to talk to you. And I feel like at different pivotal moments for as long as we've known each other, I get little notes from you. And just so you know, they're always welcome and perfectly timed. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I have to say, I didn't realize that when you were elected in 2002 at 21, you were the youngest person elected to public office in the history of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't know any better. (laughs) What led you to run? 
Yeah, growing up in Hawaii, as you can imagine, it's a beautiful place. And I grew up surfing and swimming and hiking and just appreciating our home. And I got pretty frustrated at different moments when I saw our state lawmakers so disconnected from the need to protect our natural resources, to protect our home. And so when there was an opportunity to run for the state house, an open seat came up after the 2000 census. And I thought, well, what better way to you know, walk the talk than to actually put myself forward and ask people for the opportunity and privilege to serve them so that I could start to bring to action some of the things that I had been talking about and trying to push our state lawmakers to do. I'm curious, which island did you live on? I grew up on the island of Oahu. When you ran for re-election, you lost in the Democratic primary in 2004. How did you cope with that? I mean, all of a sudden you had this great success and then boom. There's more to that story there, actually. I was campaigning for re-election, my first re-election campaign in 2004 to the state house. You know, all the filing deadlines had passed. We were approaching our primary election date when our National Guard Brigade combat team was called up for an 18-month-long deployment to Iraq. I had just enlisted in the National Guard a year prior, was serving in a headquarters medical unit, and my commander called me and said, Hey, Tulsi, I know you heard about the deployment. Almost everyone's going, but you don't have to. Your name's not on the roster because your job's already been filled by somebody else. And I knew almost immediately, I told him, there's no way I'm staying home and watching you guys go and deploy to Iraq without me. So long story short, I volunteered. I got trained up in and filled a job they needed someone to fill. And I withdrew from my reelection campaign, but it was too late to get my name taken off the ballot. But I was training in. Gosh, I think we were training in Fort Bliss at the time of the election taking place. What was it like being in the National Guard in Iraq? It was an eye-opening experience for me, Newt. Growing up in Hawaii, my world was relatively small in the state of Hawaii and what was happening in my backyard and my home there. And so I wasn't paying a lot of attention, if any, to foreign policy or what was happening in the world and so it was 9-11 that kind of triggered in me my desire to serve in the military. I decided to go the route of the National Guard because I could continue serving my state and my country. And so deploying to Iraq, we were about 40 miles north of Baghdad in what was then called the Sunni Triangle, as you know very well. And it was a very hot time kinetically in that war. Unfortunately, a lot of casualties. And that experience really started to open my eyes and shape my worldview. And when I came home, I couldn't go back to going into the state house again because I had changed, my whole world had changed, and I wanted to find ways to impact and serve fellow veterans and impact foreign policy when I came home. And so I went and worked for Senator Akaka as a legislative aide. He was the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee at that time, and so went to Washington for a couple of years. He was a very effective senator. I would think that would be a pretty good mentor to learn from. Truly. He was effective. And, you know, still when I meet or bump into senators in the halls of Washington or out on the road, the ones who've been there for a long time remember him so fondly because he had such a kind heart. He epitomized what we in Hawaii call the Aloha spirit, treating everyone with respect. There was even a time when, and again, you know this better than anybody else probably, just the machinations of what goes on behind the scenes. And for me, as a member of his staff, you know, someone wanted his job. Someone else wanted to be the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee. And they were trying to come at him and undercut him in ways that were very disrespectful and unkind, to put it nicely. 
And so I and others on the staff, we were getting pretty fired up and, you know, angry about these tactics that were being used. And, you know, I remember talking to him in his office and we're telling him, hey, this is what's going on. This person's doing this. This is what they're saying. It's so unfair, all this stuff. And he just had his calm, gentle smile on his face. And he just said, you know what, whatever happens, we will continue doing our work for our veterans. And the result is out of our hands. All we can do is do our job and do our best. And so it was moments like that that really taught me so much. And he remains my mentor in politics. It's a great choice. I worked with Dan and I thought he was the kind of guy you could deal with honestly and who always was positive. I mean, just a remarkable guy. Really amazing. So you had that kind of training coming out of the National Guard, working as a legislative aide to a senator, and then you end up being elected to the Honolulu City Council. What was that like? I mean, city council is a totally different world. Totally different. So after I left Senator Kaka's office, I had volunteered for another deployment with our Hawaii Guard unit, uh, again, back to the Middle East, where I had the privilege of leading a platoon of soldiers. Came back from that once again, trying to see, like, how can I best be of service? And at that moment, serving on the city council was a way that I could directly impact my community. And it was so gratifying. I met a guy a few days ago in Minneapolis who excitedly told me he was running for city council. I just told him, man, that is one of the best jobs because yes, you're dealing with things like sewers and, you know, potholes and trash pickup and, you know, public safety in your community, like all of these basic essential things that are not super sexy topics for national television. But my gosh, if you do your job well, people are happy. If you don't do your job, you will hear about it immediately. But the coolest thing was just, you know, for us in the Honolulu City Council, it's one of the biggest in the country in the sense that every one of the nine members of the council, we had about 100,000 people in our district. So it was significant, more constituents than a state senator or a state house member has in Hawaii. And it was so gratifying to be able to count to five and know I could get a bill passed or to get funding for a local project. And to get that immediate feedback from people in my community was just awesome. Well, I always like Hawaii. I have a very narrow view of cities, and you have a great zoo. That's how I measure cities, so I'm very fond of Honolulu. You also have a very nice cathedral That, from a Catholic perspective. It's a great town, and you were very fortunate. There's a lot of history there, yeah. Then you turn around, and in 2012, you run for the Congress, and you win decisively at 55% in the primary and then 77% in the general. What drew you into the congressional race? It was the answer to the question that I had been asking ever since I came back from that first deployment to Iraq, looking for a way to take those experiences and actually be in a position to influence and impact the foreign policy decisions made in our country, the decisions impacting our men and women in uniform, our national security, and our veterans. And so, you know, in a state like Hawaii, where there's only two members of Congress, obviously two U.S. senators, there aren't very many openings or opportunities really ever. <laughs> so when that seat opened up, it was actually because Senator Akaka retired, then Congresswoman Maisie Hirono left her seat to run for his seat in the U.S. Senate. And I had almost zero chance of winning that race, according to the political pundits in Hawaii. I was going against a guy who had just run for governor, had 100% name recognition, had been the mayor of Honolulu, had all the contacts, connections, relationships, money, everything that if you were to read a book that you know you want to check those boxes 
to be a successful candidate on paper, he had all those things. But I was undeterred, even though just about everyone told me, Tulsi, I like you, but you got no shot. I was undeterred because of that mission that I'd had ever since coming back from that first deployment to Iraq and an understanding that ultimately it's the people who get to make these decisions, not pollsters or union bosses or chambers of commerce or big business owners. It's the people who get to make that decision. Just a few months before election day, I was 40 points down in the polls. Still, people said, you got no chance. But I focused every single day on reaching people, talking to them, letting them know, hey, I'm applying for a job from you and the opportunity to serve you in Washington. And then ended up winning on election day, which was our primary election with a 20% margin of victory against the guy that everyone said was unbeatable. I'll never forget that because I didn't have any party support. I didn't have any support from any big special interests. I won that primary election purely because the people of Hawaii said it's time for a fresh new leadership. And I have kept that at the forefront of being accountable to the people, to the voters, all of my years that I served in Congress and obviously continue today. So you had almost a remarkable start. You get to Washington in 2013 and you're elected vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. Did that surprise you to have that happen so quickly? I don't remember what day or date it was, but it was somewhere around President Obama's second inauguration. And I was in a car riding somewhere and got a call saying, hey, what would your answer be if you were asked to be vice chair of the DNC? And I was totally surprised. And my response was, what does a vice chair of the DNC do? (laughs) (laughs) What are you actually asking of me? (laughs) So it was unexpected, to say the least. Did you find doing that as well as being a congresswoman, was that an education to be that deeply involved in the Democratic National Committee? Yes. Yes. Like I said, to go from being a newly elected member of Congress to, you know, Nancy Pelosi asked me to speak about veterans on opening night of the Democratic Convention that year to almost immediately within weeks of being sworn in as a member of Congress to be vice chair of the DNC. I came in with an open mind and pretty clear eyes and learned a lot, both the good, bad, and the ugly about our process and our politics over those next few years. So in 2016, you resigned from the Democratic National Committee so that you're freed up to endorse Bernie Sanders. What drew you to Bernie? I mean, in age and geography, you guys are pretty far apart. And in a whole lot of other ways. Really, it came down to foreign policy. And it came down to, you know, as a vice chair of the DNC, I was told, you know, you're not allowed to weigh in. You got to be a neutral arbiter in the Democratic primary, which is as it should be. I found out that that wasn't the case for, you know, the chair of the Democratic Party at the time, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, as she was working on tilting the scales towards Hillary. But there were a number of things that led up to that limiting the numbers of debates that would be had in the Democratic primary, therefore limiting voters' exposure to the choices that they would have. I saw how, you know, the people who were hosting those debates, even though in my heart of hearts and like to my bones, I know how real it is that the most important responsibility the president has is to serve as commander in chief. They were giving very little time to that question, that responsibility to inform voters on the differences between Hillary and Bernie on that topic. And so that's why I resigned. I resigned as vice chair of the DNC to endorse Bernie because of the vast difference between the two of them, at least at that time. Hillary, I don't know of any war that she has ever spoken out against or been opposed to. 
In fact, she has led interventions and wars in one way, shape or another for as long as she's been involved in politics. Whereas Bernie, at least generally, we don't agree on a lot of things, but generally he has or had a more non-interventionist view of foreign policy. And I took that opportunity to get on TV and get on different platforms to drive home that point of the difference. You know, at that time, people were saying, well, Hillary Clinton's the most qualified person ever to run for president. I never agreed with it and I never understood it. And I saw her foreign policy record actually as an incredible weakness that even the Bernie Sanders campaign really wasn't talking about. So that was the reason why I took that step and took advantage of every opportunity that it gave me. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN.
Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hi, this is Newt. We have serious decisions to make about the future of our country. Americans must confront big government socialism, which has taken over the modern Democratic Party, big business, news media, entertainment, and academia. My new best-selling book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future, offers strategies and insights for everyday citizens to save America's future and ensure it remains the greatest nation on earth. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can order an autographed copy of my new book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, right now at Gingrich360.com book, and we'll ship it directly to you. Don't miss out on this special offer. It's only available for a limited time. Go to Gingrich360.com book to order your copy now. Order it today at Gingrich360.com book. somebody who ran for Congress a fair number of times, you won with 77%, 76%, 81%, and 77%. So clearly, you could have stayed for a very long time. But on January 11, 2019, you announced you're running for president. I mean, that's a big decision. What led you to decide to do that? It is a big decision. The triggering thing that happened that caused me to start to think about that actually happened a year prior to that. in January. 2018, January 13, when every cell phone in Hawaii got a text message saying ballistic missile incoming to Hawaii. This is not a drill. Seek immediate shelter. And this was about eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. The alarm started to sound, you know, the television screen and the radio station started sounding that ear piercing alarm sound, causing everyone in the state, residents and tourists and everyone to really question, number one, where is their shelter? They say, seek immediate shelter. Where is their shelter? And then number two is, is this the end? Do we have this 15 minutes before, you know, what was assumed would have been a nuclear missile coming from North Korea to Hawaii? And that turned out to be a false alarm. But the fact that we all reacted in the way that we did really showed how much our leaders have failed us, that this is the position that we are in. And so that was what started getting me to think about the failures of our current leaders, my lack of confidence in the others who were at least projecting that they are running for president and saying, hey, let me try to do my part and offer what I can to serve the American people. It must have been imprinted in your brain forever. It truly is. And I was just talking with some people, actually, the Second episode of my podcast, I go into this experience in detail talking about the dangers of nuclear war. My podcast comes out every Tuesday, so we just put that episode up and already have started getting comments from people saying, I remember exactly where I was on that day. I was at work and I needed to try to find out where's my wife, where are my daughters? And really, a guy very specifically said, I had to choose which of my children I wanted to spend the last few minutes of my life with in that moment. 
We had college kids at the University of Hawaii sprinting. They had the CCTV cameras catching kids sprinting in all different directions, like frantically trying to find a place where they could be protected on a Saturday morning. A lot of the buildings were locked. It was just chaos. A friend of mine has like seven kids. He crammed all his kids in the car and went driving to the mountains to go find a cave to hide in. We have old World War II bunkers in some of these mountains and people packing. It was just chaos. And others just sitting in their homes, just saying, okay, this is it, God. And saying their final prayers. It made a huge impact on me and confronting with that stark truth, which is we have leaders who are screwing up our foreign policy left and right, who have put us in this position, who continue to put us in this position. You know, they've got places where they can go and bunkers and such, but they've left the rest of us and the American people out to dry, out to die in the event of a nuclear attack. Not only is it wrong on so many levels, it is what requires us to bring about a change in our leadership because we are literally talking about the future of our country and the world is at stake. There's a book called Tomorrow by Philip Wiley, written about 1956. And it is literally the minute-by-minute description of two neighboring cities in the Midwest, one of which gets hit by a nuclear weapon. I recommend it to anybody who has any doubt about what you're saying, because Wiley in Tomorrow is so clear, and he's he's basically just taking what actually happened at Nagasaki and Hiroshima and then applying it to an American city. When we mess around and we have the situation we have with Putin right now, and people talk glibly about Armageddon, they have no idea how horrible this would be and how much we have to really think deeply about getting out of the situation we're in, not just with Russia, but there are so many nuclear weapons in the world and so many countries getting them that sooner or later somewhere, something truly horrendous is going to happen. But you decided to run, and I have to say, now I'm very biased because I like you personally, but I was struck, one, that you were very effective on the debate stage. Oh, that's a huge compliment coming from you, Newt Gingrich. Well, I don't know about that. I was also very struck that more than any other single person, I'd, I don't know if it was deliberate or just the way it happened, but you were the most decisive person in revealing why Kamala Harris shouldn't be the vice president. I mean, the one interaction you had with her was so one-sided and she was so incapable of being on the same stage with you that I thought it was very stark and very striking. It was. I was frankly surprised at how ill-prepared she was and she had really no response at all to the data points and the facts that I brought up about her record on criminal justice, on cannabis, on basically what she did as the DA and the attorney general for the state of California. Because all of those things that I brought up, I did not have to dig for those at all. Anybody could have gone on Google very quickly on page one or two, found every single one of those truths and facts about her record. And I think it is actually very telling. A couple of things stood out to me after the fact as I look back. One was, why was I the first person to bring these things up? No other candidate running for president dared to question her on her record, which is surprising given how much crap I got from everybody in all directions. But also, like, there was no serious questioning coming from any journalist or any host of these debates about this record that almost every day she said, I will be the prosecutor president of this country. Okay, let's look at your prosecutor record if that's what you're saying you're going to be. And 
And it just shows really what I experienced to be true is both from the media as well as, you know, the powers that be in the Democratic Party. They make their decisions of the people they want to put forward, the people they like, and give them the softball questions and the easy treatment and then try to flush out the rest, really taking away the choice of voters to actually have a selection opportunity of who they want to serve. They only get to see who the party and the media want them to see. When you were running, I thought that you were so good at this. I thought that there was an opportunity to see the beginning of a real reform Democratic Party around your candidacy. And Bill Clinton spent a lot of time in the 80s and really tried to move the party back towards the center and ultimately failed because the weight of the party on the left is so enormous now. But I really thought that you were head and shoulders above most of those candidates just in sheer likableness and effectiveness and articulateness. And you were saying things that I suspect 30 or 40 percent of the Democratic Party actually agrees with. That would be a substantial counterweight to the left. But whether it was the news media or just the machinery of the system, it was kind of like you were hitting a brick wall. That's certainly what it felt like every day. It was unacceptable to the other candidates, the Democratic Party. There was no room for anyone who said, hey, you know what? We got to do better as a party, and we got to go back to our roots of being the big tent inclusive party of JFK, of Martin Luther King, the party that respects individual rights and freedoms, that fights for civil liberties, those true kind of traditional liberalist principles and philosophies. Go back to being the party that's the champion for the people, for the working men and women in this country. They did not allow for the space for that. And like you, I think most Democrats and I think most people in this country would want a return to that that Democratic Party of the past. But instead, it has become this party that is condescending, that is of, by, and for the power elite, that has become the war party, You know, you can go down the laundry list of problems with today's Democrat Party that ultimately all lead back to the same places. They're out of touch with the people, and they are opposed to and trying to undermine our fundamental principles of freedom in this and justice and equality this country was founded upon. That's what is so dangerous about them being in power. Despite everything, when you did step down and ended your campaign March 19th, 2020, you did endorse Biden. What was your reasoning in deciding that you were still a party loyalist at that point? Yeah, I've known him for a long time before then. I had my first meeting with him after I was elected to Congress, got to know him and Jill and Bo and respected him and hoped that he would listen to his better angels and do what he said he would do on that campaign of working to try to end the divisiveness of seeking that common ground and trying to bring people together across this country, regardless of their political party, of keeping us out of new interventionist wars, ending the ones that we're in. He talks a lot about the things that he wanted to accomplish on that campaign. I'm not naive to sit there and believe every single thing, but I really hoped that the Joe Biden that I knew would do his best to carry out those promises. And unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Almost from the get-go, he has gone directly against every one of those things that he promised the American people that he would do to the detriment of the country and the people. Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path. 
and now you can own a piece of that history. I'm thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition, one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994 when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the Balanced Budget Act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin is more than an investment. It's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484-4043. That's 866-484-4043. Or order online at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zikazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. On your brand new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show, released on October 11th, which we're going to link to for all of our listeners. You talk about why I'm leaving the Democratic Party. I thought you were very articulate in explaining how much it had ceased to be the party that you joined. And I don't want to steal from everything you'd already said, but could you just summarize from your standpoint how big the break had become between the party you belong to and the party that now exists? The Democrat Party of today is unrecognizable when I think back to what drew me to join the Democratic Party in the first place. You know, we've talked about a few of those things. Back in Hawaii, we had many immigrants who came to Hawaii to work on the plantations. The plantations were owned by four major landowners, 
The Republican Party had control over the state politics at that time. And bluntly, the people working on those plantations were being abused. The working conditions were absolutely atrocious. They were hardly paid anything. They had no advocate. And it was really the Democratic Party at that point that went in and fought for them just for basic living conditions, basic working conditions. They were the largest employers in the state at that time. And that's what really brought the Democratic Party into power in Hawaii. And what I saw as the party that was focused on fighting for the people, fighting for the well-being of people and their families. And the Republican Party in Hawaii was really viewed as and represented themselves as the party of the most rich and the most powerful and the most elite, the very few in our state. And when I look at today's Democratic Party, it's like there's been a complete reversal. The Democratic Party of today is the condescending party where if you do not believe in whatever their issue of the day is, they will call you names. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You're this or you're that. Or worse, if you dare to challenge or question their positions, they will try to find ways to smear you or silence you or shut you up by working with their partners in big tech social media. To have a party that has gone so far from its roots So much so that it is undermining our fundamental freedoms, freedom of speech. They're hostile towards people of faith and spirituality. They are hostile towards our civil rights, our Fourth Amendment, civil liberties. You go down the laundry list and at every step, they are taking action that is undermining the foundation of this country, which is such a dangerous thing because as we know, when we start to lose these rights and freedoms, and the spirit of our country is being squashed by those in power, it'll be very, very hard to get them back. That's why I'm out here in these final weeks of the election going and helping different candidates who I believe have their priorities straight, who are committed to serving and putting the American people first and supporting and defending the Constitution because we need to bring about this change in leadership and there needs to be a check and balance. Now, we can't wait another two years to bring about the kind of change that we need to stop this administration from doing what they're doing. We need good leaders in Congress now to do that. You were recognized the other night by the Independent Women's Forum for their Resilience Award. And I was very impressed during your speech. You talked about the transition from being a party that defended women to being a party that can't even define what a woman is. Did you find that kind of just weird? It's beyond weird. It's unimaginable. It'd be like something you'd watch in some weird fantasy movie and laugh at because they've got no grip on reality. They've got no grip on these biological truths that there are, in fact, biological differences between the male and female sex. And they're showing their hypocrisy because this is the party that championed Title IX. Congresswoman Patsy Mink from Hawaii was one of those leaders who worked very hard to get Title IX enacted, and rightly so. It provided a level playing field for women and girls in sports and in other professional opportunities. And so for them to now be so quick to flush all of those advances down the drain in answer to this so-called woke fanatical ideology that now says anybody can be whatever they want to be and there's no such thing as biology and there's no such thing as truth. I don't know how to explain it other than it is insane. It's insane. I've actually been working on a paper 
that says there are now two wings of the Democratic Party, the weird wing and the insane wing. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, the stuff is just, when I grew up, the Democratic Party had a huge element, including John F. Kennedy, that was actually pretty conservative. And it really represented a very broad range of Americans, and they'd be shocked. Now, you have been on the campaign trail. You were up with Don Balduck in New Hampshire, which I thought had to be very helpful to him because New Hampshire is a state that loves people who are independent, and you brought a breath of fresh air. I watched you the other night on television with Laura and earlier campaigning with Carrie Lake in Arizona. I thought the two of you, you and Carrie, seemed to have a chemistry that was really amazing. Did you enjoy that, just hanging out? It was great. Yeah, we had a chance to, you know, we'd only talked on the phone before my coming out there. I had not met her yet in person. So we had a chance, jumped in the back seat of a car and got to chit chat a little bit and get to know each other better just at a personal level. But I think the thing that attracted us both to each other was just, I guess, courage is the word that she used towards me and I used towards her is it takes a lot. It takes a lot of strength to stand up in the face of the wrath of the quote-unquote establishment, the power elite. She did it in her primary election. She's doing it now in the general election. In my own way, I have done my best to stand up for what I believe is right and true, no matter how many times people tell me, like, Tulsi, if you do that, you're committing political suicide. You must be crazy, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, I'm not doing it for that. (laughs) I'm doing it because this is what I believe must be done. Just the responses that I've gotten from people across the country, people in New Hampshire, when I was there with Don, they're looking for leaders. They're looking for leaders who will actually fight for them, you know, not for one party or another party or one interest or another interest. And that's really where the simple solution lies, is bringing into life this vision our founders had for us, where we've said the line, you know, thousands of times, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people But that is such a profoundly powerful vision and statement, and it's the solution to the problems that we're facing right now. We've got to get back to that. So I understand you're also going to campaign for Joe Kent up in Washington State for the House. Do you have any other plans between now and Election Day? I do. I wish I could show you my calendar (laughs) because pretty much every day until Election Day, I'm getting different calls from different people, all of them coming from districts who have great candidates who are running and who are running in very close races where it could swing one way or the other. And so I'm, I only packed a carry-on bag when I flew to D.C. for that Independent Women's Forum event. And so I'm doing laundry everywhere I can because I'll be on the road through Election Day. I'll be helping Joe Kent in a few days, Maida Flores in the southern border, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, Yesley Vega, who's running in a tough race in Virginia, a very, very important race that I really believe she can win. I'll be out helping Senator Mike Lee in Utah and a few others. That's great. As I said to you before we started taping, I was chatting this morning with Kevin McCarthy about you. Is it really true he was at your wedding? He was. Dave really thinks of you as family. It was really interesting. He's just so thrilled and so excited, but I think he'd loved you as a Democrat, now he loves you as an independent. He said he's known your whole family, and he just was very excited and very positive about you. I want to thank you for joining me. I have a hunch that after you're done campaigning, in addition to doing the Tulsi Gabbard show someplace down the road, there's at least a significant book coming. And when that happens, I hope you'll come back and talk to us about it. I look forward to that. We are going to link to your new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show which is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever people listen to podcasts. And I encourage our listeners to check it out. And 
I want to thank you for joining me on Newt's World and sharing your story. And it's always great to be with you. Thank you, Newt. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to next time. Thank you to my guest, Tulsi Gabbard. You can get a link to her new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Ever thought about owning a piece of history? Introducing the Newt Gingrich Contract with America coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition silver coin celebrates the historic Republican victory in 1994, marking a turning point in American politics. Give a gift with real historical weight this season. Order now at NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. That's NewtGingrichSilverCoin.com. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 